If I called any animal a bird, then it would be hard to differentiate. It'd be hard least, to, it would be hard to talk about birds and animals. It'd be hard to talk about birds and animals as you know separately. It'd be hard to talk about alligators. If you're like yeah. anything with two legs is a bird. And you'd be like, well, alligators have four legs, which is that's a double bird. But alligators are, <laughs> alligators are kind of like dinosaurs, and birds are just dinosaurs. So also, alligators are birds. Butterscotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 166 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I do all kinds of web-related activities. I'm Sam, and I do Steph and Inkscape. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is... August foldy napkin, dinner plate clean. <laughs> yeah. That was, that's, last thematic. week it was about beans, so this is the week after. No, last no, week was plate. the normal one. Oh, was I, it? I keep you on your toes. Yeah. Okay. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show. There's going to be profanity, lewdness, and unparsable date formats, so this show should not be listened to by children or people who need to know what day it is. Mm-hmm. Time purists, get out. Get out. All right, let's get on to the new... Well, actually, first, thank you to our Ko-Fi supporters, uh, over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. These are people who uh, threw money at us, and we appreciate that. Yeah, we grabbed it. Yeah, so uh, Sean, thank you very much. Sean attached a message to his mm. uh, his donation. Your podcast has changed my life, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. I owe you more than I am able to give. I'll just consider the amount that I can't pay you back a gift. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have a uh, handful of recurring supporters, which we appreciate very much as well. Let's go on to the news. What's happening this week? What is happening this week aside from everything important ever? Yeah, so the past six weeks or so have been leading up to this this moment. Moment. We could say this moments. Because this actually it hasn't happened yet for we're, us. We're pre-recording, but post posting. Wait, does does Patrick know our uh Yes. Our podcast guy? Okay. Mm-hmm. So right. tomorrow, which will be yesterday for you folks, <laughs> Tuesday of this week. Uh <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow, which is yesterday, uh, Nintendo is announcing the day before, that the day after tomorrow, Levelhead is coming to the Switch, and also we are in their Nindy's Spotlight trailer thingy that they put together. Their long video that talks about them. Uh, we get a, sh- I mean, the Kirk, the guy from Nintendo who does those sort of little presentations. He talks about Levelhead in person on the thing with his real with human his, mouth, with his human mouth and body, and then they put our. Video on stuff. So it's just a very exciting thing. It's also when uh, we've been very secret for the last six weeks about why we've been doing a lot of the stuff we've been doing, the couch co-op included. Yeah. Because um, if it was just Steam, yeah, you know, we yep. may not have gone that down that road. Basically what happened is we made a build for uh, – back in, at GDC actually, we had an 11-week-old version of Levelhead. On an Android phone. On a phone. And we brought it to uh, the Nindy's party there. Uh, Kirk, the, our guy at Nintendo, invited us to like go say hey, basically. And so we go there, and he's running around a bunch, and so we try to get his attention. He's just running around. And so we kind of just schmooze for a bit, and then I grabbed him in the hallway. I was like, Kirk, I just need like 30 seconds to show you this thing. Which was good. all we got. We, yeah, which was as that was, that was long as the demo. Oh, we need it. And so we, we booted up Levelhead. We showed him, and he was like, I want it. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, literally the words. But then he was like, but shut up about it. Yeah. So we couldn't say anything. So at uh, all. Since yep, then, so we've here been, we are. Yeah, we've been talking about this stuff, and it's been a really interesting process leading up to uh, to this week because not only do we have the announcement coming uh, tomorrow, Tuesday. Tomorrow, sorry, also known as yesterday. Uh, <laughs> Tuesday morning uh, through their live stream and then through their, their YouTube channel, but uh, we also are going to a press event at Nintendo HQ yeah. right before PAX. 
which is so We've exciting. never got to do anything like that before. Nope. So, so it's just going to be us and then all the other Nindies who are in the video. Who we don't even know who they are because it's all this stuff secret. So very excited to meet our fellow humans. And we mm-hmm. also get to see Nintendo HQ. Yeah. Which Seth and I drove by it two years ago because we went to Steam Dev Days, which is a big thing that, that Valve mm-hmm. puts on, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and at the end of that, there was an Xbox event that we then sort of like just went over to, over to that. Scooted over to that one. And that was at the Microsoft HQ, which mm-hmm. was a very impressive. I think we were on campus. like building two hundred and twenty nine. <laughs> yeah, they had they number the buildings because oh, they got yeah. so many they can't it keep was, them straight. Mm. It was ludicrous. Um, they did have yeah, it, it was a very very cool, remarkable space. Uh, but driving in there because basically Nintendo HQ is just like nestled up there, right against Microsoft campus. campus. Yeah, yeah so and like, they've got people on the roof with binoculars, just just kind of watching. Yeah, on both sides, just yeah, looking at each other. Weird. Yeah. They have parapets and little, mm-hmm. they, all the. Yeah. And it was also weird that all the windows were little slits. Yep. You know, every so often you just see a volley. I don't know just what it was. Just a volley of fireballs, mostly. Yeah. Fireballs and arrows <laughs> yeah. and turtle shells. Yeah. Uh, it was. There's a small war going on in that region. Yep. Uh, we're gonna go up there and check it out. <laughs> um, but yes, we are so we'll excited. Escorts, so it should be fine. Yeah. Yeah. But we're so excited. Uh, it's been – it's honestly been this last six weeks has been very intense uh, because when you do these marketing pushes and stuff, you not only have to, of course, you know, make the game good because you have to go demo it for press um, and also to hopefully you know impress Nintendo with our capabilities. But also you have to get all these – all this marketing language figured out, which we hadn't really done because we weren't worried about it yet. So we had to suddenly kind of do that and think about how do we how do we talk about level head how is it how do we want to present it that sort of thing so here's the thing i love about about this whole marketing language uh problem is it you know it's always about like the pitch you know mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta pitch the game uh to to platforms and publishers and distributors and stuff and that's where your marketing language comes you gave mm-hmm. your elevator pitch right uh but players don't read no, that they don't give a they crap. Play, players will never read a but word about your game. But I think the trick is that you use your you use your elevator pitch to understand well enough how you need to craft something like the trailer, which is what people look. Yes, because you hear what people respond to in your pitch, right? Like which aspects of it that they seize on, and then that's although. But on. this is all a circular problem, right? Because if you craft a pitch and then people latch onto some part of your pitch, and then that's what they get excited about, so that's what you're right about. What if you'd written about something else in your pitch? Exactly. And that was what they got excited so, about. So that real, we're all just we're just blowing. Well, everyone's just making it up. But I think the important <laughs> note here is like being able to put out some essentially like test marketing. So we put out that yeah. two minute level head alpha video. Yeah, I don't even know when. Long time ago, and we were able to see kind of okay, like what are people interested in? What do they think about? Um, and then we actually put one internally together when we were sort of pitching to Nintendo to get us included in this thing. And and we were told just just cut out the first two minutes. Of Literally, <laughs> yeah, it was a four minute video. It was, it was more like a sort of a slow walkthrough from a business standpoint. Um, but yeah, the, and then I showed it to a friend of mine, um, who was like, "I really just want to see what happens at two minutes yep. and then on," which was the co op part. Yeah, and we said, "Oh, we don't know what people care about," <laughs> <laughs> and so we re- restructured everything. So I think it's like as a as a dev, or I mean, frankly, anybody selling. Anything that you're making, I think having a few of those test runs, like don't necessarily put all the pressure on what you knowing without having any samples ever what people Well, th- this is the same kind of uh, advice we give about testing your game. You, know, you put it in front of somebody, mm-hmm. just watch them play it and see what they respond mm-hmm. to and what they struggle with and what they seem, you know, what they aren't excited about yeah. and stuff. And then you kind of, you hone your design toward those things. Same thing goes with a trailer. You know, if you just make it and put it out there, just sight unseen, you have no idea what the yeah. response is. Yeah, well, that's actually the interesting thing about putting out a gameplay trailer versus something more, you know, thematic or whatever, something something more designed. Because a gameplay trailer demonstrates many features of the game in a way that people can understand because they're watching it happen. Mm-hmm. 
which actually gives them sort of a breadth overview of the stuff so they actually can choose what they're the most excited about. And, and it still depends because right. like depending on how you frame it and how you structure the thing, that could definitely impact how people view it and what they get excited about. Um, but uh, you know, a really good marketing trailer is a very different thing where you're basically making an assumption about what people care about yes. and trying to hit that exactly. So if you just start with a marketing video, a marketing uh, trailer, and you got the thing wrong that people care about, mm -hmm. then now you just made a, a really expensive, cool thing that, that you can't sell to anybody. Yeah. Uh, and that was the thing we honestly, this is now in retrospect, like that's not how we were thinking about this. That's just yeah. what happened just by making that pure gameplay trailer because we thought it would be fun to show what this thing looked like. So this is something I've always found kind of interesting about EVE Online. Because mm -hmm. have you seen their trailers? They're, uh, no, they're spectacular. Oh, yeah. It's always uh, – it's sort of uh, capturing voice chat, isn't it? So yeah. There's people talking while their ships like – Yeah, the best in. one is a trailer that's just called This Is Eve. Mm -hmm. And they have uh, – they, they requested various leaders of different player-run organizations in the game to send recordings of their voice chat for like during their operations that they run in the game. And so every, there's, there's no voiceover on the trailer from like mm -hmm. a professional. It's all just – actual players doing actual operations and then they've recreated the battles you know using in-game models and stuff to make this trailer um but of course it's it's heavily uh dramatized and yeah, it's like yeah. these jump cuts you know jumping from action to action to action like, go 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 and it's like more <laughs> right. big and it's yeah. just so cool and then like right toward the end so they show they show all this amazing stuff you know like there's just like a guy mining an asteroid and he's like oh this asteroid is worth like 30 times more than my ship it's amazing you know <laughs> Uh, but then like in game, of course you just click it and then you wait and for then you wait day. for 35 minutes. Um, <laughs> but then, but then at the very end of the trailer, they quickly show like a whole bunch of the interface stuff, like mm. buying, selling stuff, you know, things like that, manufacturing items. Uh, and that's actually what the entire game is, is just yeah. staring at an interface. That's not what the feeling, that's not what the actual yeah, game exactly. is. Cause, sense, yeah. Right? Cause they realized that, that. Uh, they're, yeah, what they're selling is the feeling of being out in the unknown, like out mm -hmm. in space. It's just you and your ship. You're like Firefly, right? That right. kind of thing. And you're just like doing jobs and trying to make a buck and get better equipment and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, since the entirety of the gameplay is just staring at various windows and doing spreadsheets, basically. Yeah. Well, make for think, a terrible but, but the thing is, it's not for people who love the game. That's not what it feels like is happening. Exactly. It doesn't feel like yeah. you're just working in spreadsheets. Right, it everything feels like you're basically – those are the points as you're planning and scheming and preparing for these epic adventures. That you're right. It all on. culminates in these awesome battles, yeah. you know, these awesome huge uh, action-packed events. This is the interesting problem that a lot of devs, ourselves included, run into is when, you, when you're the one who's working on the project and then you're also the one who has to decide the marketing for the project – uh, you will usually like the. I'm sure those devs, if they were to pitch it, they'd be like, "Look at these interfaces. Like, look we how, have crafted look every how good, yeah. right? <laughs> look how easy it is. Like, can we put? Oh, I want to see like a full workflow. Of but, also, but also, given that that's what players do, there, there's a sense that you're being dishonest if you highlight correct other parts. So, and we talk about everybody talks about No Man's Sky when it comes to this, mm -hmm. right? But there, there is that way in which No Man's Sky didn't do wrong, which right. is that they were trying to sell the feeling that they thought this game was going to evoke, mm -hmm. right? Now, because of exactly the sequence of things that happened and exactly how they did it, that didn't work out so well. <laughs> and, and it wasn't really their trailers necessarily. It was a lot of the the external stuff around the trailers. Sort of the ad hoc interviews that kind of right. seemed like they spun out of control. Yeah, well, because yeah. the thing is people people understand that when they see when they see a trailer that that's not going to be necessarily their moment-to-moment -moment experience right. with the game. Uh, but if you start to imply that that truly is and then it's not, then of course that's the problem. Right. Because we, we've had this own – 
uh, worry ourselves is, you know, at what point are we just being dishonest because the gameplay, so, so Crashlands, the Crashlands trailer is, that's not what the game is like to yeah. play, you know? Yeah. Uh, but that feeling of, of just, you know, sass and nonsense and just joy and glee is, is the thing that we tried to make that game right. convey. And we think that it does, but not in the way the trailer does. Yeah. So the, the trailer sort of latches onto the irreverent sense of humor of the right. game. Right. And it shows you some gameplay clips, but yeah, it's mostly focused on just the vibe. So, right. right. It was actually yeah. really exciting because uh, Levelhead's trailer follows the same sort of idea, which is, you know, we do the voiceover, we make a bunch of jokes and stuff. Except that it's also the gameplay. Which yeah. Is- so it, it really does fit with how the game feels. Yeah. Which yeah, I think you'll see when you see the trailer. Yeah. But- I'd say it's, it's one of the more cohesive things that we've done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited about the trailer. There's, I, I think I, I can reveal, because it doesn't reveal anything, that there's a thing we had to get rid of in the trailer. Which yes. I'm deeply sad about because at the beginning, you know, so in Crashlands, we have, you know, Sam says, you know, comes off on the, the ESRB screen. It's rated T for teen, except Sam says rated T for too much sass. Mm-hmm. Right. And people love this. It's hilarious. Uh, so he and wanted it sets to, the tone. You know? It sets the tone. He wanted to extend this into into the Levelhead trailer. Mm-hmm. So got this one rated E for everyone. And so Sam kicks it off and says rated A. <laughs> <laughs> Which and, uh, is hilarious. I mean, which is hilarious. Like I was actually giggling when I right. started watching the trailer. Yeah, it's a fantastic <laughs> moment to set the tone. <laughs> Turns out though, the ESRB does not let you fuck with their stuff. Yeah, and so, so we had to. Yeah, not. so in order to work, it's actually that's they just have a legal page. Yeah, it just says, it don't just fuck says with their stuff. Section one A. Don't fuck with our stuff. Yeah, that's nice, the whole thing. Wouldn't it be nice? Because we got this terms of service. We, we you know had fancy lawyers draft this whole thing. Like, <laughs> I reread it. I tried converted it into mm-hmm. more Englishy kinds of stuff and. Really, all it says is don't fuck with our stuff. Yeah, well, you, know, you know, there's all this stuff that we got. Just don't, just don't fuck with it. Fuck with well, it. I think yeah. it's an interesting point, though, because I because I had actually read the ESRB guidelines and when I made the voiceover for that thing and before I submitted it to yep. be approved. And I was like, oh, we're totally in the clear because they had this one section that's about using essentially uh, kind of like glorifying the whatever the rating is in some way to attract attention or, or uh, sort of obscuring it in a way. Right. So, like, so, so instead of saying, from yeah, it. so instead of saying like, what the E stands for, right? E stands for everyone, right? Then, like, trying to do something that would make it interpreted. Actually, this doesn't really apply to E, but it really applies to things like T, right? So they'd be like, you can't say like, oh, we've never pushed a teen rating this far, right. yeah. you know? Which makes that, total sense. That implies that it like should. Well, the have fact a is, like, even rating. the Crashlands trailer, because um, we're saying it's rated T for too much sass, is, is sort of us underplaying in a way what the T actually means, mm-hmm. which means like mm-hmm. certain kinds of content that might be okay. Right. So I can. I, I can definitely see that being a yeah, I can't see I the – eh. What I'm saying is like because <laughs> I read the rule and it's like it's a long rule, right? I think it's like three paragraphs or something. It's very detailed. They're just giving like, themselves wiggle room. Exactly. So if we just said rule number four, don't fuck, don't with, our fuck with our shit. Be I'd cool. Be like, just oh, clearly this is me fucking with your shit. Yeah. I'm going to move Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, we fucked with it. Uh, I have a we question. We shouldn't have. Why is, why is Crash Lines rated T? Because of all the murder. rated E. Uh, it no, it's actually because of the writing. So we because I thought it was the online component because we still yeah, have okay it was the writing because yeah. the online online uh, content's not rated by the ESRB oh remember so uh, the when I thought just it, the presence of it though I thought the presence of, of no. online interaction well also no. the also the the cartoon violence that, because, that, because you're hitting animals well, no, that, with like a still, so part of it is is flux is humanoid which does amp up the rating a little bit any damage done to a human oh. as opposed to like a creature. Uh, which is where we get around that with right. Lovehead. But uh, but actually the, the major one was, and I don't remember you recall this discussion, but because the the writing is so sassy in Crashlands, there's a few points where there's like 
there's oh, sort crude of, sexual humor. Cr- well, not even sexual humor. There's, but just, there's some it's veiled, but it's, yeah. very, it's all veiled. Uh, it's sort of the thing where like it, we tried to hit that Pixar humor where it's like, okay, if you're an adult reading this, you're going to chuckle. If you're a kid, you're going to chuckle, but not know why you're like, yeah, it's not about that. Right? That sounds funny. It's so, uh, and so we do hit that a few times. And so I remember when we discussed, cause you fill out the survey to, to get your rating for the game. We were like, right. let's just do it higher than we think it probably is so we don't get in trouble. Uh, <laughs> right, right. So that's why it was a T. It actually would be an E otherwise. Okay. And it probably, frankly, could be, but we just didn't put it there. So Yeah, yeah I thought it was from the online stuff, but I just Because no. there's, there's three well types enough. of person in the world. You know, there's there's teens, uh-huh. there's older than teens, and then there's everyone. Yeah. So yep. Yep. you got to cover your bases. Uh, all right. So anyway, so that's all happening this week. Mm-hmm. We're going to PAX then. Uh, yep. So so after the, after all this stuff goes yeah, down. So you're listening to this on Wednesday. We're going to be at PAX on Friday yes. through Monday, I think. We're yep. there the whole, the whole time. Yep. So if any of you listeners are there. Or just uh, in Seattle. Or just generally. in Seattle. We'll, we'll be probably, around. I think the last, uh, when we were there two years ago, we went to, we just went to a coffee shop, kind of told Everybody and just said, "Hey, yeah, it was there, so fun." So there's a there's a Starbucks up the street, the fanciest Starbucks, the in the Starbucks universe. Roastery. Honestly, one of those beautiful buildings no, I've ever been. In. So yeah, it's not it's not a Starbucks. It's a Starbucks Roastery where they have they have these. It's it's like Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory of it's coffee. It's literally what it looks like. Yeah. yeah, there's like tubes in the ceiling with coffee beans moving through mm-hmm. them, and there's like a, an army of of orange people mm-hmm. who are like yep. singing songs mm-hmm. and churning. Coffee they're, butter. They're I don't really young know. children being roasted spectacular alive. deaths here and there. Yeah, it's, it's great. That's shot. where the that's where the dark roast comes from. <laughs> <laughs> that's what makes it dark. It's filled with the souls of curious children. Uh, yeah, so we go up there. That's that's right up the street from the convention center, like mm-hmm. on the same block, basically. Um, so if you're in that area uh, around PAX, we'll probably yeah, we'll put out a note. We'll or tweet two. or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably in, in Discord. So if you're not in our yeah. Discord at discord.gg slash bscotch, you should just get in there. Get in there, and then we'll figure out how to meet up at, uh, at PAX. Yeah, and, we're so, not, and we're not demoing there. We're no, just that's going. Actually, the interesting so. thing about it and the sort of the weird things, we actually – we had prepped – we got PAX tickets so that we could make sure we were able to show to press during the event without actually having the booth. We were going to set a bunch of interviews and, uh, and meetings and such. But Nintendo has done such a good job. With this preview event thing, that we don't we don't have to have any press really. There's left none left to talk to, talk to which I'm I'm personally so excited about <laughs> because no one cares if I reach out to them. I mean, I think I just read uh, so Boyfriend Dungeon, which we talked about I think last week or the week before. Uh, Kickstarted blew their Kickstarter goal out of the water. Got a bunch of press for it. Uh, their community manager wrote up a post on Medium and about sort of the that process of getting the thing posted and then like trying to get all that attention. And she had sent out 300 press emails. 15 of them got answered. Yeah, sounds right? about right. We've we mentioned this before on the podcast. And that's what something is, is just wild as such a good your hook, weapon yeah. turns into a, a person who such you can a good hook. And from an established indie studio that's made good stuff. In the and past. you can also see like it's literally like I, I'm sure if someone if someone from the, the press got that and then went and checked the page, the page would have already had like $10,000 on it within like 15 minutes, <laughs> right. right? So, so, that's like, a, so that's a 5% response rate. Yeah. So again, we, we've talked about this before, but the most people will not listen to anything you're saying, just generally. But I feel like maybe Nintendo has slightly more clout than we do. If, they, oh, if you yeah. get an email from them, they're like, "Come visit us for some press." At minimum, people will there, a huge number of people will be disappointed that our game isn't some other game that they want to come, which to is totally switch. fine. But at least, they but at least saw they it. saw it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So the next move for us is uh, once we get back from PAX, is actually to sort of look back at what the response was. Because, again, we haven't really done a large public-facing thing for 
level-headed yet, and this is going to be the large public-facing thing. So the question is, again, what are people actually interested in? Well, and we're this, not done yet, so yeah, and this really marks the the start of our marketing push, mm-hmm. and we don't really know sort of what that's going to look like because we, like Sam said, we have to gauge what people are interested in and then start putting stuff together. But it so also, we've got to also impact the game itself because if there yes. if there's some stuff people get really excited about that we have not been paying as much attention to, sort of like co-op with coming to Switch, mm-hmm. uh, we might have to start padding our dev time and you know and, yeah. and actually taking right. the game down some different roads. Yeah, um, so and, just, and there's, there's stuff that we plan on having that we haven't even started yet. So things like the mm-hmm. the campaign that yeah, you can play through. So we're waiting for the mechanics to settle and stuff like that. Because if we build an entire campaign, which we already did, like if you, we build an entire campaign, yes. change all the mechanics. I think it was in uh, like May. Oh yeah, I was, built like 25 levels or no, something. No, we built it before GDC. We oh, had it? it. Yeah, we had it at GDC, <laughs> and oh literally every aspect of the gameplay. That was my favorite part because every week Seth would be like, "I'm going to work on this," and I think we need to change it like. You know, to do this. Also, this is going to completely invalidate all of your levels and destroy them. And yeah. I was like, yeah, for a while you were trying to, you were <laughs> yeah, trying to keep on remaking them, and then we realized it was just that. dumb. But yeah, I was like, what is this? Yeah. Um. So we'll have that, but it won't be. Oh, yeah. It won't be on display uh, at the, on the trailer or at the press event mm-hmm. or anything. Are we? So Nintendo is going to have a booth at PAX, I assume. Correct. They have a bunch of other indies on the yeah, floor. So they're demoing indies on the floor. Are they playing our trailer there or something? I have somewhere? no idea. What's Okay. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know anything. I don't believe past, so. Yeah, we don't know anything past that initial. Event. Okay. Yeah, but I'm really so. excited because uh, we're we're also bringing our spouses along to PAX because oh, they yeah, haven't talk about that. Yeah. So so the I guess what was the point? Yeah, the idea Why? was that you know so our spouses have been super supportive in uh, in helping us take this completely absurd path that we've that we've yes. chosen to take, um, and we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them doing that. Yeah. And so, so on the one hand, you know, like it would be nice to just have them come with us and like hang out and just like get to spend more time together because that's obviously great. Uh, but also, they they don't. So, so my wife does play a lot of video games, um, but your your two spouses play uh, not very much. Um, mm-hmm. And and even even with my wife, like my wife hasn't really gone to any any uh, you know packs like uh, conventions or events. And so, so basically, all of our spouses just kind of have a vague sense of what it means for us to be doing this job and what it means for the people who buy the stuff that we make. Right. Uh, and so, so what I was hoping to get out of this was basically just to, just to really provide a better, deeper understanding uh, for our spouses about just what this life is like that, that we have. Yeah. And of course, a convention isn't representative of the life that we have. No, it's, pretty, it's much, pretty much how it is. <laughs> but it's representative of the impact, right? right. And, and the fact that, because uh, you know, even if you're into games, but especially if you're not into games, uh, it's really hard to understand how important video games are to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really easy to to blow off something like making video games as, as a career choice or as something that's that's even just important for anybody to do. But when you go to an event like this, it's just so on display. 80, there's 80,000 people 80,000 people that, you know, they sold, like the, you know, PAX West, they're, they're going to have at least 80,000 people, then plus all the, you know, pirated, <laughs> pirated yeah, bootleg uh, badges. Bootleg badges. Yep. Uh, that probably adds another huge number of people. So it's just this enormous, enormous group of people there. Uh, and that was that was the lucky people. That was a lucky tip of the iceberg who managed to buy tickets within half an hour of them going live. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are many, many more people who would have gone had they been able to buy those tickets when they went live. Yeah, because you know that convention center it only supports. 80,000 people. Only 80,000 people. So, I mean, it's just it's not six, enough space yeah. for everybody. It's six floors. I yeah. guess the other thing. Like, we Enormous floors. Like, like six warehouses stacked yeah. on top of each other. And it's not, it's not even close to enough space for all the people who who would be willing to spend a fuck ton of money buying the tickets, traveling, 
have finding a place to stay, doing all that kind of stuff. I mean, they presumably could have easily sold 10x as many tickets had they had the space, mm-hmm. right? So maybe they should start hosting packs at Burning Man. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Come to the desert. <laughs> Play video uh, game. But yeah, so it's, it's, it's just this very cool demonstration of how important this stuff is to people. Yeah. And, and it was something, too, that uh, until I went to my first GDC, which is a very different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because it's developer 25 to 30,000 people. Yeah, and it's all developers, though. Um, but that that was my first time because I'd always played games, but didn't really like they they weren't as important to me as as I know they are to other people. But it was just, it was still a part of my life. Mm-hmm. But that was the first time when I saw how important that was to the developers there because the developers themselves are players of games. Right. And so GDC is a cool space because it's it's a place for people who both have made are making their living in games, but also who for for whom games is just an important core part of their lives. And so they are both players and and the creators of the stuff. And so. That was the first time where I was like, oh shit, like this this stuff truly deeply matters to mm-hmm. people. And it made me feel a lot a lot more excited about being in the industry because then it felt like it was important. You right. know? Yeah. And so so yeah, so to to provide that to our spouses also and just be like, hey, look, I know you guys seem to think that what we're doing is important anyway, but what if you could just kind of get a visceral feel feeling of I it? I think it's the thing is that, I mean, it happens with with anything where there's basically a layer of abstraction between you and the person who made the thing. Right. Which is especially true in games, actually. So for something like music, I mean, you can hear the person's voice usually, and the artist is usually a person who's you know featured. Um, and then with movies, with actors and stuff like you, you do see the person. But with games, it's a little bit different because usually the teams are much larger. And then on top of that, uh, everyone's abstracted. So yeah. you don't you don't really understand that there's a there's a person who made the thing until you go and you see them like signing stuff at a booth. I remember we saw the Stardew Valley guy, Eric. Yeah, yeah, he's um, just he's just a guy. And we chat with him. We're like, hey, we're like, hey, you want to go get some burritos? And he's like, he's like that. He's like, you guys are the first people to invite me to get food. He's like, it's so nice. But uh, like, I wish we thought it was crazy. He's I just mean, Stardew Valley. Yeah. Come on, well, why would he, nobody invite him to eat burritos? Yeah. Well, and he had, he had a line of fans there the entire time. It as, took me twenty minutes. I yeah. stood there for twenty minutes to ask him if he wanted to go eat burritos. Right. So like. And everyone's <laughs> and people who were meeting him were so excited, and they and you, everyone, every single person that went up was telling some story about. Yeah, how it had impact, right? Right, and so yeah, it's one of those weird things where it sort of it pulls it again from from that layer of abstraction into oh, okay, yeah, this, this is what this means. Yeah. yeah, but you also get to go see all the people trying to make their way, you know. So you kind of yes. get to see people in parallel positions that we're in, uh, th- those who are lucky enough to somehow get to show at PAX, and uh, and so kind of being able to then look at where we are and where these other people are. And and all just see the the struggle out there, yeah. You know? uh, and see that from a slightly outside perspective, where you know if you're if you're the spouse of somebody doing this, um, where you support them but aren't in it, then uh, going to see just kind of what just to see what the rough and tumble looks like, and that you know mm-hmm. that this is a very hard thing, and, and and to see how important it is that you have been so supportive, you know, uh, is uh, it's going to be I think it's, it's a gonna, cool thing. It's going to be fun. Yeah, yep. I'm excited. Uh, all right, so we have one final piece of news, which is that Sam got a henna tattoo. Yeah. And we need to talk about this is that. Super important. So I went to uh, <laughs> Festival of Nations in St. Louis yesterday, which I guess is three days ago, podcast day, so Sunday. And Festival this is, this of is the thing where they they make a bunch of portals that go to different countries, yep, right? And that people can just walk in. You just teleport around yeah. the world. It's beautiful. So yeah, it but they can only like they can only do it for a few hours because the wizards get just real fucking tired. Yeah, real tired. But, well, also until you know customs and border control gets there. Yeah, until so ICE the, shows up. Yeah, the timer just starts. all the wizards. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. So, <laughs> so, the way it works is uh, it's in Tower Grove Park in St. Louis, which is a big, beautiful park. And there's this there's this area toward the front of the park where it's basically a huge circle. 
So one half of the circle is food. The other half is the market. And in the center of it is these two different stages where they have like cultural dances and music going literally constantly. So uh, we get there at 10 a.m. when it opens. And yeah, you walk basically walk down the left side and you just scope out food from every single place. And it's it amazing. real good. Oh, it's so good. And so then you buy, you know, we so we were with a group of couple people. And so we would buy food and everyone's kind of sharing it, you know. So we eat a bunch of food. Let me go check out the market. Super gorgeous. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. And then I see this henna shop and I'm like, I want a tattoo on my body, of course, because I've been inspired by Adam's huge arm tat. It is pretty good. So I was like, I need you guys to put some ink on me. And they had all these pictures up that looked just phenomenal, right? And they're like, you just so, point wait, one. You should explain what henna is for people. Who okay. So henna, people don't know. Uh, henna, it's a type of, is it a plant that you like grind up? It's some kind of dye. I think it's a plant that basically makes this dye and you uh, – it's traditional in Indian culture for is like pre-wedding ceremonies and stuff. Yes. Yeah. So uh, basically the way it works is is the, the ink goes on your hand and it's sort of like this big bubbly thing. And then you wash it off. It's almost like a paste. Yeah, it's more like a paste, yeah. yeah. And then you wash it off and then it basically stains your skin for like two weeks or so. And depending on how long you leave it on, it'll be darker or lighter or whatever else. And so uh, the best part of this was I see this henna shop and I'm like, yeah, got to get this done. Again, go up and they have this sheet of all the cool things you get. And at point one, I'm like, I want that one on my hand. And they're like, okay. And so they wheel me over to uh, to this person who's going to apply it. And they have these really interesting tools, which is it's this little gold bag. It's like a, it's like if you're baking and you need to put frosting on something. Hey, yes. Yeah. So you squeeze out of the corner kind yep. of a deal. Yeah. Corner bag sort of thing. And they're real good with those bags. Well, so maybe this not. Was. <laughs> <laughs> this is the wrinkle. Maybe this is an apprentice. I don't know. So <laughs> so I sit down and like I'm very excited about this because I'm like really pumped to get this hand tattoo. Uh, and I and I see how she's holding the bag. And I had just so this whole weekend I did probably like six hours of art practice. Mm. And you're like, this is not how an artist holds. I've thing. seen how she's holding the bag. I'm like, I don't think it's gonna go up. But okay, maybe I don't know. I'm is done. she holding it kind of like how like a toddler holds a crayon, like just just it was fist, just I, a, like a fist. It was just like a little weird. But then also <laughs> the bag itself toward the bottom was like a little crinkled, like it was sort of doing a like a lightning bolt shape. It's supposed oh, to be yeah. like a perfect. It's supposed cone. to be yeah. It's yeah. supposed to be kind of like pressurized, right? So that it's and so I was, firm. It. So I was yeah. like, this does not look promising but again it's withhold judgment who knows i don't know how to put down now to real. now to be fair if this was a real tattoo and you have suspicions yes you i just, you i just, have learned don't be also, don't this, be polite about that yeah just get the fuck out of here <laughs> this is also why with with a tattoo you don't you don't just go to some random place and point at a thing on the wall and say i want that oh i have tried to do that before my yeah. wife thankfully Stopped got me away it. from there yeah. but uh, you, what you want to do is look on instagram find an artist who does fucking stellar work mm-hmm. then you Book an appointment with them, and it's going to take like a year because they're That's really good, fine. right? It's fine. So then a year later, you come in, mm-hmm. and you just say, do something awesome. Yeah, and if do their tool is – they do it, and then there you go. If their Done. tool looks wrinkly, you don't – If they got a wrinkly needle – Duh, don't <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Stay away from wrinkly So, so she starts coming at me with this thing, and I'm just like – I'm sitting here. I'm like, I just paid for this, and I'm going to be upset. I know I'm going to be upset in like 15 minutes. Like I just feel it. So you just you just embraced the song. So I was cost. just like, let's just, let's just be here. Let's be in it. And so I'm watching her put this thing down. And my favorite part was, again, I've been drawing like all fucking day. And so I – and actually doing a lot of line practice, literally just drawing straight lines. Okay? It's like – it sounds boring as fuck, but that's what I was doing <laughs> in the morning. And so I'm watching her and she's looking at the picture and then she just skips – like I can show Adam and Seth here. There's like a gap – on, there's supposed to be a gap on both sides. Oh yeah, she missed one. She side. literally like skipped a third of the picture. Yeah, and then and this is the first. This is the second line she puts down. This is not the right line. And I'm like, 
This oh is going to be we're gonna, we're <laughs> And then her tool is like bending and, and like crinkling and breaking all over the place. And she's like, I can't figure it out. <laughs> and then like, it's just sort of blobbing out. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, this, I'm about to go to Nintendo this week. I yep. wanted to look cool. And now I got this like splotch in my hand. Honestly, it turned out okay. Well, it turned out okay because immediately afterwards, I was like, how long do I need to wait, you know, for it to set? And she's like, wait about an hour. And I was like, great. That's my clock. It's ticking. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and so I got to find a sink. Yeah. So I go find my soap. wife and I'm like, have you seen a water station? Cause we're now, we're in the park, right? There's not like yeah. water. Visit. And so she's like, I'm sure they're back there by the, like all the port potty stuff. So I run over there. Can't see Take anywhere. It off a dead sprint. And I'm like, oh shit. Cause there's just, <laughs> there's just hand sanitizer. I'm like, I gotta get this off because otherwise it's going to be here forever. And it might be huge. And also, I'm so sweaty because it was like 100 degrees in St. Louis yesterday. Yeah. And so by the time I get there, like my hand is just kind of brown. Like the thing, the stuff is kind of just like melting onto me a little bit. And so I run over to the washer. I can find the washing station behind the porta potties after freaking out because I could only find hand sanitizer and just like scrub the shit off as quickly as possible. And I think sort of managed to save it. But it's still like if you actually look at it, it's not well done. In the slightest. It's okay, though. <laughs> and it's it's faded enough because I think you got it early. It's faded and from so, far away, it still looks kind of – So you see it and you're just like, oh, he's got henna. Yes. He must have done – He must have gone to an event. Gone to some yep. kind of a spectacular event. Don't look it in the eye. He's super cool. Good. Yep. Cool yep. guy. Mm-hmm. Cool this is a cool guy who goes out and does <laughs> things. Mm-hmm. That's me. Nobody looked too close. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. Well, that's – It was something. It turned out okay. It turned out okay. All right, let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. So if you'd like to get your question on to an episode in the future, get over there and then ask it. All right, first question comes from Von Rain. Hey, Bscotch bros. Yeah. Recently, I've been trying to get in there with the thing. But with three young kids, I'm having trouble finding time to sit down and just get in there. Are any of you available for babysitting in the Seattle area? <laughs> well, we will oh. be in Seattle. So. There you go. Definitely not for babysitting. Uh, also, <laughs> well, I mean. We don't. We don't have to demo. I mean, I'm, at least I'm demo. <laughs> uh, also, I am in the beta test group, and my son is loving the creative build mode in Crashlands. Great podcast. I listen every week. Cool. This so, must have been from a thousand years ago. This is probably from years ago. So, uh, basically, the question is pro tips for carving time. Yeah, but is the problem right? is it's, it's it's with respect to being a parent, which none of us are. Yeah. So have, I I, okay. I think we're not equipped to answer this question. So I, yeah, I was listening to. The podcast. All right, speak, all right for, first, I have to say. Back it up, Seth. I have to say <laughs> this morning. So commuting is interesting uh-huh. because if you have a lengthy-ish commute, then and you fuck it up. For if example. you fuck it up in a real good way, <laughs> then it becomes a very lengthy commute. So, <laughs> so this morning, I was really on top of my game. And I got in the office. Seemingly. I got in the office like 7.59. I'm like, yes. I'm going to have a great day. Mm-hmm. I get out of the car. I start walking toward the building. And I, I, this was a 30-minute commute initially. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I feel like I feel like I left with more bags on Friday than when I came in. And uh, it's because I left my computer. The one bag that I definitely need, mm-hmm. I just left it home. So yeah. I get back in my car, drive back home. That takes 40 minutes. To get back there, get packed up, 40 more minutes to come back. Is it because the traffic was nuts? Yeah. Because I, I, I just drove through rush hour traffic three times. And then, <laughs> and then uh, when I get back, of course, all the parking spots are taken. So I got to go park, you know, mm. a couple blocks away. Mm-hmm. But oh, I got my scooter, so I was able to, you know, shorten the journey. Save a minute or two. Yeah, on the way in, life. on the way in, in order to uh, carry all the stuff. So we, we got we got a uh, Nintendo Switch Pro controller that I picked up this weekend, and I was bringing it into the office. Well, it's hard to carry, you know, juggle a bunch of stuff on a scooter. 
So the only available space I had was in my lunchbox. So I threw the pro controller in my mm-hmm. lunchbox, come into the office, throw my lunchbox in the fridge. <laughs> Put that controller on ice. And then uh, I started coding about my day. The right before we begin the podcast, I'm like, oh, fuck. I just refrigerated. I just refrigerated our new piece of hardware. Mm-hmm. So I imagine this is a lot like what it's like to have kids. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. except just, this doesn't have that excuse. No, right. It's probably but, like no, I'm that, saying though. like you're just always in a state of like just putting out the most recent fire, right? Yeah. It's just like and, ra- just wrangling. Yeah. And and in one of the podcasts I was listening to, you know, during my many commutes. Oh, this morning. This okay. morning. <laughs> um, they're talking about uh, raising families and kids and stuff like that. And the, the general estimate is that is that in terms of like active parenting time per week that a kid would require is about 33 hours, like minimum, mm-hmm. right? So that's just like stuff that you definitely need to be de- – that somebody in the household needs to be dedicating time to to keep this kid alive and mm-hmm. fed and entertained and everything, right? That seems to me like a low number actually. Probably. Yeah. But that's definitely a minimum. Um, and so then the question is like if you just deleted 33 hours – of available time from your week. Mm-hmm. How do you, what do you do then? Yeah. Where can you get it? Well, I think, uh, what do you do? So when it, well, when it comes from, like Adam said, from a parenting context, we don't have any experience. So we can't actually nope. speak to what, what does it mean to try to do this carving, right? To say, like, okay, I'm going to set aside some time. Um, I think the same, that, that, that's, I mean, that's the problem with trying to answer the question, which is that we don't actually have the experience to give any sort of good contextual wisdom here. Uh, but the uh, the only I mean, I'm not even going to try. I guess I don't know what you're going to do. Well, no, here. I mean, I think I think the only things I I I would assume, and I guess it's just a good question for people who who are parents actually for us to send in the podcast, sort of how you would handle something like this. Um, but the the few people who um who are older than me, who I'm in close contact with, who do stuff like uh, one of them writes books, but he has a full time job and also has two kids. Um, the way that they tend to do it is instead of worrying about progress happening on like a daily measure, which maybe they would do if they had more time. Uh, they sort of pick basically just one point in the week, uh, and then usually, usually it's early morning, so before the kids have gotten up or something like that, and then it's like an hour and a half or two hour stretch, and that's sort of just saying like, okay, so I still want to keep on growing and still want to keep on learning in this particular capacity, but recognizing that you know the kids being the top priority at this at this particular juncture doesn't really allow for that daily level of stuff to happen. So, and uh, the the one person I've been talking about has been very successful with that with that sort of repeated stuff happening. Yeah. Well, um, if you have a spouse and a, and if you have a spouse, the two so, of you, the exactly. two of you need to support each other, uh, and you can give each other that time mm-hmm. um, by by contributing in a very you know effective way as a team yes. to raising kids and doing all this mm-hmm. stuff. And so, so I know of a few people who have some system in place where uh, every other weekend um, they they basically alternate where one of them just gets to have four hours where they yeah. they leave the house and they go to a coffee shop or whatever. And they just work on the projects and it's just or, – or just do whatever they want, right? But but the idea is that they now have that reserved time. Um, each person gets it every other week. It's enough time to make progress on something. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So there gotta, are things you, you can gotta, do. Yeah, you definitely got to use the time. I think I think the hardest part about all this is you know, you, you often hear from people who maybe are like working two jobs or they're just – they're really super busy mm-hmm. and overwhelmed and stressed. And they, and they have something that they want to work on, write a book, make a game, whatever – and by the time they get that time, at the end of the day, they're just done. Oh, yeah. They're just toast. Um, and so one of the things that we suggest for people in that situation is, is to try to do that early morning stuff, mm-hmm. wherever possible. You know, when you're when you're toast, uh, just 
you have to acknowledge that you just aren't going to make good progress. Well, it's actually so. it's a it's a cascading failures problem. So it's actually ex- like your morning commute is a perfect example of this, where right. you might have had the day planned out such that it was going to be beautiful, and then in your case, this commute gets messed up. But in the case of someone with a parent, like could get sick or just kind of is an asshole and you're late for something for like 20 right. minutes. Um, <laughs> so there's there's all these ways that you can have. And then because of that, uh, you have results in later systems that you interact with, like, for example, putting the controller in the fridge on accident, where you could accidentally cause another major malfunction that continues to mess up your day. And so the trick I like to use, too, is just to think about, like, I want to get that one, like, a little extra thing that I want for myself. I try to just get right in the morning before I can fuck it all up. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, all I have to do is walk to walk across the hallway and draw for 30 minutes. Yeah. But th- I think to me that the, the difference is the things that you have to do versus the things that you want to do, mm-hmm. right? Because any, even if some, some things that you have to do, you also want to do, but yes. it doesn't actually matter because you have to do it. You're going to do it if you're a responsible person, right? right? Uh, and so there's, there's already a mechanism that's making you do those things. So when it comes to things like, say you do work two jobs, mm-hmm. say you do have all these parenting duties, right? Those are all things you have to do. And so you're going to do those things. Mm-hmm. The problem is that, that that's use, it's just using up all of your energy. All your dangs. All your dangs are getting used. And so the only way to be able to, to really just resist that in a way that doesn't require an enormous amount of self-control is to front load the stuff you want to do. Yeah. Because by the time you're done doing all the stuff you have to do, which again, you're going to do, you can't ruin you can't the stuff not. you have to do mm-hmm. by doing the stuff you want to do if you do it first. Mm-hmm. And so doing things in the morning when you get up is really – it's the best. The only way. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So, I think I think it's we've a, got some reasonable. We'll speak, yeah. speak so, to uh, it in a decade or something. So, so, so in summary, if you have if you have somebody else to to help you in this, a significant other or something, then work try, together. Yeah, try to find a way to work together to create blocks of time for each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the mornings are the best time to try to do this kind of stuff. So I don't Good know, luck. but fully acknowledging that this is extremely hard. Yes. So. If, if anybody else has pro tips, honestly, send them to the podcast at bscotch.net email. And maybe we'll follow up with this in a later episode. Yes. Uh, See all right. what other parent pro tips there are for doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, all right. Giant Muskrat asks, what are your PAX plans? Is there a place to check if you're doing a random meetup? So we're going to PAX. Yeah, go to PAX. Yep. We'll be on uh, – we'll figure it out sort of when we get there, which is how we kind of do things. So just pay attention to our Twitter. Yes. We'll probably put it in Discord too. This is one of the few times where we'll – We'll be on Twitter for Advocate. about four days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's always rough because every time we go to big conventions, we feel like we, we need to be watching Twitter in the event that there's like a something that we missed that we have to go to. It is very good for if you know a dev who's there, but you don't know how to get them. Yeah, you, you follow them and then you follow them. Yeah. <laughs> then, you, then you just send them a message. You're like, hey, we're going to be getting burritos. You want to go get burritos. Though so I think – We still have like a one in 20 success rate oh, yeah. on that, but – yeah, actually, probably probably lower, but yeah, maybe, uh, maybe it's mostly about the burritos. Do people not like? Burritos? <laughs> people don't like I never, burritos. Maybe we just never asked the wrong question. We got, yeah. yeah, that's true. We didn't eat. We didn't eat with Eric, the Stardew Valley mm-hmm. guy, and we invited him to get burritos, and he was maybe very he's grateful. Like, but then he was like, "But no, I don't, man, I'm God, not really yeah. into this whole." These burrito. guys love burritos. They're not, <laughs> they're not the sort of people I want to be around. <laughs> Although I did, I, I can't remember. It was maybe. Steam Dev Days. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get people to go get waffles. Nobody wanted to do that either. Yeah. So maybe, so maybe just people don't like us. Maybe. <laughs> That's totally possible. It's, unfortunately, it's, it's a possibility. All right. <laughs> Next question comes from Anonymous. What makes a video game a video game to you? Is a walking simulator technically a video game? 
Or is it an interactive experience and not a video game? Uh, I think maybe like 100 episodes ago we talked about this. But it's did. been a while, so we can – What's the refresher? What's the game? It. Here's, here's – Why, why here's does a, this matter? Let's talk about what I was say. I was like the more important question here is who gives a shit? Who gives mm-hmm. a shit and why? And why? Because a lot of people really do. They do. They so get very angry about, about it, in fact. Yeah. yeah. So what's a game? So I think – or why I guess why figure out what a game is? I think it's I think it's I think it is important to actually have these distinctions so that we can use words to talk about things. That's absurd. Um, it's crazy. So like, if I called any animal a bird, then it would be hard to differentiate. It'd be it, hard least, to, it would be hard to talk about birds and animals. It'd be hard to talk about birds and animals as you know separately. It'd be hard to talk about alligators. If you're like yeah. anything with two legs is a bird, and you'd be like, well, alligators have four legs, which is that's a double bird. But alligators are, <laughs> alligators are kind of like dinosaurs, and birds are just dinosaurs. So also, alligators are birds. Alligators are birds. Um, they lay eggs. Yep, I think. Yeah, um, they do. They eat fish. Yeah, uh, they've got really long faces. Yeah. So, so this all tracks, right? So, so the point being, as soon as you lump too many unrelated things right. together, because let's say you go down by the river, and there's an alligator, and there's a bird, and there's one of those birds pe- pecking the alligators. Tooth, and right. maybe maybe your friends not paying attention. They're kind of and you're close. Like, Look out! There's a bird. And you're like, who gives a fuck? It's, it's just a bird. bird. I love yeah. birds. And then and you're man, like, this is how people die. This is one of those sneaky river birds <laughs> with a lot yeah. of teeth. Yeah. You know the tooth birds, sneaky double bird, the man <laughs> eating double double bird tooth birds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this matters. I think this matters. Now the now the problem is that people moralize it. So nobody gets yeah. pissed off that you that you refuse to call an alligator a bird. Yeah, correct. Because. Who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. Right. Because people are like, this is insensitive to alligators. Birds are majestic. They fly. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. They bring joy to people. You can't not call an alligator a bird because now you have denigrated mm-hmm. the integrity of alligators. Right. Right. So this is this is the stance that people tend to take when somebody says, this, this thing isn't a game. This is something else. Right. They get upset that that they think that this is an insult. Right, well, right? but it often is used as an insult. It well, is. We're calling something a walking simulator because yeah. the whole point – like, That you, actually is an insult. It is an insult because so, – so think about Firewatch, which is the one who sort of got this big label put on it as a walking sim. Because if I describe that as a walking simulator, I am missing the – I am purposely well, no, missing the – But I feel, like, I feel yeah. like this follows, this follows from the initial assumption, mm-hmm. which is that a video game is – is sort of described in terms of what you do in the game, right? Like right. What, what what is the action that the player takes? So we're building a platformer, like a level building platformer. Right. Why do we call it that? Because you you platform and build oh, levels. Yeah. Right? It's pretty self-descriptive, yeah. really. Um, and so, oh, a first-person shooter. Why do we call it that? Because it's in first person and you shoot. Right. Um, and so what do you do in a game like Firewatch? Like what is the action that you take? Is when you walk around. This right? is correct. Yeah, you. And, but really, what you're doing is you're participating in a story. You're participating in a story, which is always true in yeah. almost all games. But, but that's but that is the focus. Like the the only thing you do, right. is participate. And so, in so this story. is what I'm saying: is the problem is that by insisting that something like that is a video game, then you confine it to being described in the same way that other games are described, which is by the action, by the action that you primarily take, right. which is walking around, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, I yeah. think I, I, I'm, I'm. So I guess what makes a video game a video game? First, like, what is that? To well, me, it's the game part. Yeah. It's not, it has <laughs> it's to be not, a game. But, but, but the I video mean, part is... Yeah, because what I mean is, like, when you say a video game, you're just, like, talking about the media in which it's being placed, right? Yeah. And I think this is, this is where the confusion yeah. comes from, is that people then think, well, then anything that I interact with using a screen... Like, is a book a board game? 
right? Right. Like this is a similar mm-hmm. analog. You well, put it yeah. on a table and it, you know, right? <laughs> so <laughs> open it up. The media, open it up. Yeah. So th- this would be like insisting that anything that's that isn't in the same media must also be the same thing, thing right? right. Uh, and I think this is particularly weird. This is particularly true and weird about uh, video games and just kind of interactive media on computers mm-hmm. in general is that for some reason, like everybody's kind of lumped all these things. Like if it's an entertainment product that isn't just, that isn't passive, then people have lumped that all into the video games category. Right. When and, in reality, most of them, most of these ones that sort of fall outside of this, what seems like a game, it's because of the game is missing. Part. Yeah, exactly. There's which no is, which I would argue is the case with Firewatch. Mm-hmm. It's not really a game. It happens to be played. I think part of the problem is, is like you're holding a controller or your mouse and keyboard. Yeah. While you're interacting with these things, which is also the thing you use to interact with video games generally, which also makes it feel like there's some weird. Right. So the question really is like, is what's a game then? Because the video part now we're saying like there's confusion here because everything you interact with it in the same way. What what actually makes it a game or makes it. So my, my personal belief about what makes, what makes a game something like what, what makes something that you would describe as a game is something that, uh, that is engineered to, to produce a feeling of pride in the person engaging with it and something that has a sense of mastery attached to it. Mastery meaning you can lose and get better at it? Yes. Meaning you can you can learn ways to do it better, uh, which then, of course, serves back into that, like creating a sense of pride, mm-hmm. right? So which you means have, you can also do it worse, right? You can fail. So if you, you have something fail with like, uh, say, say one of those, I can't remember the name of any of these, but one of those games where you're basically taking place in a choose-your-own-adventure. In a sense, right? Yeah. But where where there are decisions to be made, they take you down branching different story paths. And depending on how well you understand the story and what things you choose, you have better or worse outcomes. Right. Then in this context, by your definition, that is a game. Uh, it doesn't right. have mastery. Because you're because ma- you're mastering the history and the understanding of this universe, well, and you're so mastering like, so the decision again, making. This is one of those problems. Like, are you? Pr- is there a sense of pride being generated? Probably. By? Oh yeah, yeah, I think there definitely well, yeah, would be. I mean, I the mastery is the thing that's missing. Because in that case, you're just you're learning. You're learning how the story is supposed to unfold, but you're not necessarily doing it better. No, but you, you are though, because like, because if because if you recognize things and you and you realize that something that happened a long okay. time ago. Well, here's the difference. Right? Okay. So, okay. so you're what talking about, about skill mastery. Yeah. So you're talking right? about an internal mastery versus you're versus, talking about knowledge, like knowledge, yeah, knowledge gain versus yeah, sure mastery yeah. being the the uh, deploying of a skill. Right. So, so you're you're so now clicking through so something is not. Now let's skills. continue this. Right. Okay. So now let's say card games. Mm-hmm. Everybody agrees these are games, right? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter how good you are at shuffling those things or dealing those things or whatever. It matters actually how good you are at remembering what has happened and you understanding a set of sort of patterns and algorithms, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which I would argue is actually the same as one of these like branching narratives where you're understanding the history and the story and how things relate to each other, what what the impacts of your decisions can be as you work your way through that story. I think it's a sliding scale because if you can lose exactly, yeah, right? like things, if things aren't just a game right. or not a game, yeah. but if you can if you can fail yeah. to win the story, I guess because uh, right. <laughs> you chose something that killed you and then you got to start over, um, then yeah, maybe because that, that's like because well, there's, there's also a gradient between something like a text adventure, like a like a interact like Zork or whatever. Or just mm-hmm. you know, it's like a D and D campaign, right? Like it mm-hmm. would describe to you, oh, you're in a room, you see a lamp. And you're like, I, I pull the lamp or something. Mm-hmm. And then a secret door. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's generally been regarded as a game. Mm-hmm. So what right. if we just called things gamey, you know, like duck meat or rabbit meat? <laughs> Very gamey. It's got a gamey feel. It's got a gamey flavor to mm-hmm. it, this text adventure. 
physical but it's game. A new, like, yeah. a, like a point and click adventure like i only barely think of as a game which isn't to say it's not a game or anything like that it's just when i'm thinking of games and i see a point and click adventure i don't i don't really think of that as a game right, right? but many people would um so I think so maybe game is game is now just a word that's kind of like animal. Yeah. Which is everything that moves and isn't a plant. <laughs> right. Yes. So virtual reality, that's a game. The problem uh, is we should probably stop using the word game to try to mean so many things because yeah. it doesn't really mean much. That's true. So instead we should just talk about the specifics like bird versus alligator yeah. instead of animal. Right. Mm-hmm. And and while we understand that that's not super useful, I mean it, that that only has a, a limited use, right? Because mm-hmm. you know like yeah, birds and alligators are pretty different, but there are some birds that are basically alligators in terms of how yep. much they're going to murder you, right? <laughs> there are some alligators that could be your little buddy because maybe it's like old or something or, or tiny mm-hmm. and you can just kind of hang out with it, you know? I did, see a, on your shoulder. I did see a documentary about a guy who rescued an alligator and now he just hangs out with this alligator yeah. and has so it been for like 40 years. Well, I hope he feeds it regularly because it's still a fucking alligator. <laughs> he does, <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's that story about that guy who no, but he actually bears. He actually wrestles it. Like it's, it's crazy. I've never seen anything like this man <laughs> swims in the water with the alligator and he's like wrestling around with it like it's a puppy. It's amazing. He's probably going to die. But like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the grizzly bear guy. Like the grizzly bear guy who did the same thing where he's like, I'm, I, I know how to hang out with grizzlies. And he would just go hang out with grizzlies and mm-hmm. then one ate him one time. Right? You only get well, one yeah, chance. Yeah, one time naturally. Yeah, you only get one chance to mess that up. <laughs> yep. So that's I like it. It's bold. That's a I'm, risk reward thing. I am jealous, but I don't want to – do Not that. good. Yeah. Yeah. But so, so then the summary though, is that I think the, the, this is the wrong question of like, how do you, how do you decide what is or isn't a game? Like really the question is, how do you describe this to, to people in a way that, that they will understand that it is useful? Mm-hmm. Because calling something a video game is actually useless. It doesn't tell anybody anything. Correct. It especially just, now. It tells you, now. it tells you only actually the medium through which you'll get. Exactly. It. And so, but, but now the medium could be your phone well, this or, a interesting computer, like, or a console. If you chose or, that as the method as as the method for this, then you know anything you got through your mailbox, for example, you would just call mail. So, like for example, like oh, I got I got a new piece of mail that I'm wearing today. I yeah. got a really nice new mail in my body. <laughs> uh, yeah. I got this got this in the mail. It's a new piece of mail. Uh, I'm yep. using it to feed my dog. Feed my dog with mail. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be like yeah. calling every kind of writing that you could possibly get, and just referring to it as paper. You know? Yep. So it's like, oh, I read some papers last night. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, where though? What kind? What kind of papers? Did digital you, did ones. You read? Yeah. Digital papers. Yeah. Uh, written on, on what news websites? Yep. But it's just a story. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's, it's more like it's more like the classification of writing then, right? Yeah. Game is more like cl- classification of writing. So. Yeah, video right, right. So video game and writing are sort of parallel mm-hmm. large level concepts. Cuz it actually tells you all all it tells you in the writing sense is that there are words printed. Yeah, and you're going to have to use your eyeballs and read them. Mm-hmm. In a video game context it's you will interact with this through a digital medium. Yep. That's about it. So not that useful it turns mm-hmm. out. So just a bunch of gaming so, animals. All right, so then we so we're, so we're landed is everything is a game. So let's let's just stop worrying about that part. Yeah. Yep. Let's focus on the specifics now cuz we're clearly we're past that. That whole yep. that conversation is over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to so move on, people, move on, guys. Come Speaking on. of moving on, let's move on. Uh, next question Absolutely. comes from <laughs> Zacy Zacy. Hello, brothers Coster. I've got a two part question, or maybe it's just two questions. Who cares? It's mm. a good question. Good. That's a third question. I don't care at all. Was that, was that the that first was part? The first question. Okay. Would you <laughs> would you guys ever consider doing two or maybe even three Shenanah jams in a year? Uh, since this was the second Shenanah Jam, were there any surprises as the organizers of a big online jam, or was it all smooth sailing? Mm, I think uh, no, would not do three a year. The reason being, what about two? Not even two. What about one? One's what? good. One's good. 
<laughs> we'll the reason that. being, uh, the more regularly you do something, the less special it is. Yeah. Yes. That's just a fact. So, yeah, once a year is good because then it's a thing that happens once a year, which seems like a bigger deal. Yeah. Take take a, So take Assassin's Creed, right? There's an article mm-hmm. talking about the release schedule of, of games and especially in franchises. Assassin's Creed has released a game nearly every year for quite some time. Right? Apparently, I haven't played any of them. See, exactly. <laughs> the thing is I, like, I've, seen, I've seen my wife play because she, she loved the franchise. Mm-hmm. So I've seen her play a few. She played like the first few, just like played the shit out of them and, like, and crushed them, you know? And after that, they just kept on coming out. And yeah, so like, stop. all of a sudden she was like, oh, I'm ready to maybe play some more uh, Assassin's Creed. And there were like four titles that she'd missed. And it's like, now which one do you choose? I could spend a million dollars and buy all of them and then spend a thousand hours playing all right. of them. Or I guess I'll just get one of them. But which one do I choose? You know, like I'm just going to wait just until the last one. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I figure because I figure you know it'll have enough callbacks and stuff that I'll get the whole story. Sure, yeah, and I'll just kind of yeah, mm-hmm. thirty, forty years from now. Yeah, once they're done, once they're done, they're like, "This is we did it. We did all this." Awesome. Yep. Well, we've, we've actually talked about this with uh, with news stuff generally, and, and your any push you do for media, um, which is weird that it relates to Shenanjam, but um, Valve did that study with their Team Fortress updates, which there's a video on Steam Dev Days from a while ago. Where when they were doing weekly patches, their player base never actually went up because everyone's like, yeah, it's great, cool, whatever. But then when they started doing every two months, so they, instead of they would just bundle that, you know, eight weeks of stuff into one big one and then make like a trailer for it and announce it. Uh, then they started seeing this sort of nice rise up as every single patch came out because it would cause a news alert because it was news. So well, it actually in enough my, happened. Enough was happened. Interesting. In my experience uh, playing hobby games like World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Having regular patches that come out frequently is very discouraging. Yeah. Because you you right. are your understanding of the game now changes, but yeah. The stuff that mm-hmm. was true yesterday is no longer true and you have to figure out and, and that also applies to like if, especially in a game where you are playing a specific type of a character or something like that. Like in Team Fortress, maybe you like to play the sniper, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, or or in World of Warcraft, maybe you play a monk, or in League of Legends, maybe you got a favorite champion, right? And if not just your character is changing weekly, but everybody else's this is character is brutal as well. In, yeah, in League of Legends, because they oh, yeah, yeah. they release a patch and they're like, here's 70 changes to champions. And your your ability to do really well in that game largely depends on your knowledge of not just how your own champion works, but how all the rest of them work sort of in concert right. with your Because you have to anticipate what they're going to do. Well, there's like 150 of them. Yeah. And they'll make, change like four different in one go and with some regularity. So, yeah, I think – Having something happen rarely is it's a bit more special, and that, that means it's more special for us. Because like I still very much look forward to it every single time we put it together, even though it's quite a bit of legwork on the organizational side. Uh, I think if we did it two or three times a year, I don't think I would like doing it anymore. But I think part of the question is, what is it for, right? Because the Shenanigans mm-hmm. Jam is about uh, celebrating, getting out of your comfort zone, and doing something hard and awesome. Uh, but it's also about learning and, yeah. and and growth, right? And if you do one of these things every like three months or, so, or every four months, um, that's actually not long enough because now if you make something that's basically the same as you did the last time. Oh, yeah. Super discouraging. It's very – well, it's very discouraging. But also it's like it's so close that you don't even really notice that that's what happened. Since so actually right? happened to me, I started doing a uh, – there's a figure drawing group that meets every Tuesday in St. Louis that I started going to where there's just a figure and you go there for three hours and just do a ton of uh, pose work, sketches and stuff. And the first week I went, you know, I was there for the whole three hours and like my brain was just nuked at the end of it and I had – didn't seem like I made a lot of progress over the course of that, you know, session because you just are drawing whatever you're drawing. But I did it, and that was the first time sort of doing it. So last week I went again for my second round, and within the first hour I realized that I hadn't actually improved at all since the previous week. And then I was like, what am I here for? Like I don't need to be here right now. I need to go take a figure drawing course to figure out how to do this better because I'm not getting feedback from anybody. Yeah. 
I'm just getting practice. But if I suck, then, you're just then I'm just practicing sucking. sucking, which is not good. So, yeah. uh, so I sort of redoubled my efforts on the figure drawing thing, and then I'm going to go again tomorrow because I learned a bunch of shit over the last five days. Try and to hopefully, apply it. exactly apply it. See if I can actually see a difference between the sketches I do tomorrow versus the ones I did two weeks ago. And so that's also part of it. Is if you're not if you're just showing up only for these things, then it doesn't feel as good because you're not yeah. really able to display some growth, which is fun. So there's that. Uh, as far as surprises, I think the only one that was surprising was uh, was we were sort of principally only the thing that advertised the shenanigan this year. So we were in the Game Maker uh, carousel, but only I think for the last like two days before the I think the last day. And we were like the fifth yeah. one, which most people don't even see. So there's that. And then it's changed how their uh, storefront works. So jams aren't really on there anymore in terms of like the front page stuff. You got to really dig to find them. Yeah, which yeah. it was last year. Um, and so – we didn't have nearly the sort of partner support that we had actually for the first one, but we still managed to have almost the same number of attendees. Oh, we did do it. We did a survey, but I don't think we actually looked at the results of it. We haven't looked at the results yet. So. We actually had more more attendees this time. We had fewer games, but more. Did we have more? Yeah, we almost had 400 this time. So I think we almost did last time, too. Yeah, like I think we had, we had 396 last time. Is a match. I think we had 399 this time. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Not by the end, though, because then people dropped out. That's yeah. true, but still. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was honestly, I was surprised, I think, for two reasons on that. One is that is that we didn't get the partner support as, as well this time around, having an actual established thing that we knew how to run, that we had some results from before, um, but then also that we were able to somehow just, like, hold on to our people. Well, I think I think also the initial goal of the Shenanigans Jam was we said, we want to establish this jam with the premise of come make games alongside – some of your favorite developers, uh, which of course isn't the initial pitch because it's just us right. and it's very presumptuous to assume that <laughs> we're anybody's fam- favorite developer. But um, but the idea would be that we would get people to, in our community come, to come jam with us and then over time we would invite other developers to mm-hmm. come and participate right. in the jam uh, and then they could bring their communities as well and it would be this really cool thing where basically developers and players come together uh, all at once and make games together mm-hmm. and just it would just be a, an awesome event and there wouldn't really be much right. else like it uh, but most, most dev studios don't jam most developers don't do game jams which we didn't know yeah because mm-hmm. I don't I still even know. indie developers which like yeah. even if they're working on small teams of just a few people yeah you know where like where jamming makes the biggest difference mm-hmm. when you get a when you get people who can sort of master all areas of making games, because the smaller your team is, the more ever, the more right. useful it is to know a lot of things. Well, interestingly, actually, so. the the two big teams that got back to me, because we, we basically reached out to a bunch of these dev buddies of ours who we've made over the last six years or so. And the two teams that got back to me that were very interested but needed a longer wind-up, essentially, because they're these larger organizations, were Blizzard and Gearbox. Yeah. And then all the other indies who we asked, they were like – no, no. <laughs> like we're, we're super busy doing our own thing, you know, yeah. which is so interesting. With one to see. exception of Rack 7. So yes. they're, they're the only other studio that I know of who just really just lives they in love game jams. Jam, because yeah. I think I think all of their game releases have been from game jams. We're, we're talking we're, we're talking about uh, like co- commercial uh, indie studios that yeah. have, you know, have launched, have launched a right. series of games and stuff like yeah. that. Um, yeah. So Rack 7 is the only other one I know. And they had just come off of a game jam when the Shenanigans Jam started. Yeah. So they were like, we're tired we cannot yeah. do this yeah which is you know that's a fair that's a fair statement mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah it was very interesting learning that i think that most studios do not jam which yeah. i just and it did yeah not it did make sense for for the bigger studios yeah for me where you know you've got like i'm an animator that's my whole thing and mm-hmm. you've got 39 of those people off in a department somewhere um it makes sense that they would not 
go jam. Well, I think it's also probably true that in in those large organizations, most of the people working there didn't didn't follow a path that like indie devs are following, where they they went through wanting to do everything that's all part right. of games, like built the entirety of games, and then found their way into this sort of a, a niche at some point if they sort of specialize. I think mm-hmm. most people specialize first. And, right. And go then, to school for animation. Yeah. Right. So, or or that's just that thing you're into. So you yeah. just like spend a fuck ton of time doing it or whatever. And then you get hired into it. And that's the thing that you do now. So you just, you just sort of are in the niche the whole time. Right. Uh, and, and that, that's probably true for most people who work at these big mm-hmm. companies. Um, and so, yeah. So the whole idea of doing a jam is, is both foreign, but also something that, uh, you know, m- most people wouldn't make a game. So like, so if, if we brought in people from, you know, Blizzard or Gearbox, they might make a really cool looking product mm-hmm. and a game jam, but more likely they won't because their day-to-day experience is in the context of a large team. Well, right? you also have to think about then the optics. Exactly. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. So, so like uh riot blizzard, these huge companies, they make amazing products. Yeah. And then, yeah. But, but in a very, very different way yeah. than what, what we would. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, they come into a jam and they're like, we're the blizzard team. Yeah. And then, they but now they have they, they can't use any of the infrastructure that they have. They can't use right. any of the sort of collective managerial aspects that tie them mm-hmm. all together. They can't use any of the things that they have become uh, experts in and, and that they rely on for the way that they do the work. Right. And now all of a sudden they have to drop all of that. Spend two days only. And spend two days only. Which, you know, for a studio that maybe takes nine years to make a game – is yeah. a somewhat short amount of time. <laughs> well, and also, and there's no sense of like what it means to make a small scale because like the, the difference in scale between a jam game and a Blizzard product is is astronomical. Oh yeah, yeah. So if you're trying to, so it's if you're grand, the grain of sand on the beach. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so if your context of how you understand how games are made is is yeah. is a triple A title, right? And then you then you need to spend a weekend making a jam game, right? Uh, figuring out, I I can't even imagine how hard it would be to scale. Your understanding down. of project size, yeah. like down to meet. You know what we got to do. I want to hear about this actually. If we have any AAA devs who listen, I would like. I would like a podcast note about this because I don't know. Yeah, here's what I want to do. I want to. I want to find a way to mitigate to mitigate the risk to these big studios mm-hmm. and say like, what if we did a like a a closed small you know thing with just a handful of those folks where they all uh, like they all understand. But this is this is the reality. Maybe this is a this is a secondary income stream, which is we can go to various huge jam consultants. We'll be a jam. We'll yeah. go jam with them for like three or four days because it's it, the thing is it does ignite a bunch of interesting questions about your work and changes. This process. is something like, I've actually been thinking about. Is is like companies do like a corporate paintball outing or something, ooh, right? Yeah. For like team building yeah. or whatever. I was like, it'd be kind of awesome to do a jam like a corporate. Jam consultants, not not for game studios necessarily, but just for any company, mm-hmm. right? Um, where you just like bring the bring the laptops with the software on there mm-hmm. or whatever, and you just spend like two days at the company, yeah. Split everybody in teams, have them make games, or do it for retreats. So you just set up a space and mm-hmm. everybody everybody flies in. Because what always happens is like boys. what always happens is people learn that they're capable of all kinds of things that they never realize. Yeah, it's good team building. Yeah. It is. It's corporations almost, are all about team building, as yeah. I understand it. It's almost always yeah. a huge confidence boost. Yeah, not yeah. the first like couple. People hours. are just so energized. Yeah, you know. So if there's any, uh, you know, giant, you know, sort of what are they called the Fortune 500 companies out there got, uh-huh. listening? Money. If you got infinite money and you want to give us most of it, we'll take it and we'll spend two days making a video game with mm-hmm. you. Yep. Citibank. 
You know, Exxon Mobil. We'll take we'll take that oil money. Uh, all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. So we'd like to thank our producer, Fat Bard, for making us sound good. Thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. If you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can hop over to our Discord server at discord.gg slash bscotch and come say hello. Also, if you'd like to adorn your body with Butterscotch merch, you can check out our shop, which is at shop.bscotch.net. Uh, or if you'd like to send us something, we have a mailbox, which you can find the address for over at mailbox.bscotch.net. Uh, last but not least, if you'd like to buy us a cup of coffee as a, as a uh, means of supporting the podcast, you can head on over to moneygrab.bscotch.net. Oh, and one last thing. We we uh, announced last week we have a new Levelhead subreddit. So that thing's going to be hopefully having some increased activity over mm-hmm. the next couple weeks. Um, so you can find that over at uh, reddit.com slash r slash Levelhead. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.